Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome back to On The Bat Bar podcast. I am, of course, your host, Christopher Menning, and I've got some exciting news. This is my first podcast where I'm speaking from a podcast studio. That's right. I've upped the production value. I now have a full studio with a sound engineer, and I'm so happy because it means you guys are getting better audio. Uh, I've been saying this for a long time. I really wanted to do this, so uh, fantastic. And what a great way to start uh, with the first person on this new format being Jesse Vida of Atlas Bar. Now, I've uh, admired Jesse for a long time. He's a stunning guy, really cool. And Atlas Bar, as you all know, is my favorite bar in the world. I think it's such an incredible place. When you walk in, it's sort of jaw-dropping the magnitude of of what Atlas offers and and what it looks like. So this is going to be a really cool story to hear about Jesse's journey to be there and also some of his tactics and routines to building one of the world's best bar teams so as always guys I really hope you enjoy the show if you do have any feedback or comments please send me an email or drop me a comment into iTunes and also please head over to my Patreon account where you can join the community uh, donate a small amount to help the podcast grow and also to really have access to exclusive content that you normally wouldn't get uh, a lot of this, once again, is about building that community. And also, the people who are currently my patrons, I wouldn't be able to do this audio podcast studio without you. So thank you so much for your support. Once again, guys, enjoy the show with On The Bat Bar with Jesse Vida. Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom. In beer, there is freedom. And in water, there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar. Hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. Jesse, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Back Bar Podcast today. Um, it's lovely to have you here. We obviously just caught up about how Singapore is, um, but how are you, man? How's life? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me here, Chris. Um, yeah, life life is good, all things considered, which there are a lot of things to consider these days. Um, but mm. uh, yeah, I'm do- I'm doing good. You know, the the bars uh, Atlas in Singapore is. is, is pretty busy um with with the with the local crowd and even with the restrictions and uh we're keeping our our heads above water and i know that we are extremely lucky to be in the situation that we're in here when you look at the rest of the world so yeah i'm I'm doing good good happy to hear that man and i know there's a sort of time restriction um with bars in singapore is there anything else you've had to adapt recently to sort of um accommodate what's going on right now i mean you know we we've 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 adjusted on the fly as everyone has in this industry over this past year plus. Uh, I think obviously now we kind of have a little bit more of an understanding of, of what we're looking at and then what we're probably going to be looking at for this next, for this year of 2021, which I'm assuming is going to be 
more of the same, at least for us here in Singapore. I don't see much changing. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we we did the whole, we were fully closed for a while. We did the whole to go cocktail thing and then we reopened and adjusted our hours and timing and staffing. And we kind of looked at our offerings and, and our numbers and what, you know, what are guests, you know, now spending more time on now, what kind of experiences are they coming in for? So, I mean, I know this sounds like an oversimplification, but I really feel that, you know, bars and restaurants are so always like chaotic and different from day to day. So it was (laughs) challenging at first, but some of it feels normal, you know, like like to just adjust on the fly. Mm, Okay. Well, Jesse, um, got a lot to talk about today. and, And obviously most of the audience will know that Atlas is my favorite bar in the world. I love going there. Um, it, it's just stunning. Um, but I think I'd like to start with your origin story, man. Um, a bit about sort of your time in the industry and, and how you ended up where you are today. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you love Atlas. But yeah, let's uh, let's take it back. Take it way, <laughs> way back. So where did you originally start, man? Where was your first sort of job? Uh, my first job in, in the bar industry. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so that would be... Okay, well, I got to... I got two answers this will kind of from together a little bit i mean for me my first job in hospitality was working at a, a cafe like a like a tea and coffee cafe when i was uh 17 18 years old um and that was in berkeley california i'm from san francisco um and then my first bar gig i was about i was 20 years old and uh that was at a bar and restaurant called orson which unfortunately closed many, many years ago. So this is not a, a pandemic loss, but it was, a, it was a bar and restaurant of a celebrity chef um, named Elizabeth Faulkner, who's been on you know, Top Chef and all that a bunch of times. And I had no clue what the hell I was doing, but my cousin basically uh, talked me into going in for the interview. And then I uh, stumbled my way behind, behind that bar and many others since. <laughs> <laughs> right that's sort of uh, how it happens right falling into it i was very much the same <laughs> so yeah, i know you've totally. worked in some pretty incredible bars actually going around but um like how did you end up in singapore what was that um sort of process like uh when were you first approached yeah so singapore um basically the 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 beginning of singapore was i was running a bar called black tail in new york which unfortunately also is closed. I swear not every bar I've worked at is closed, but a lot of them have at this point. Just because bars don't live <laughs> is that long. this a trend that's happening? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was working at this bar, Blacktail. Uh, I It was the sister bar of the Dead Rabbit in, in New York City. And uh, we, you know, we were doing a lot of traveling and promoting of, of the bar as, as one does in this whole world's the best kind of kind of game of, of, of marketing. Um, and, uh, we came out to Singapore. We, it was, we, it was my, my former bosses, the owners of, uh, Dead Rabbit and then Blacktail, Jack McGarry and Sean Muldoon of Dead Rabbit fame. And then, uh, the, the head bartender there, Jillian Bose, who still does work with them, uh, in New York. And it was the four of us. We came to Singapore to do a guest shift in a air quotes master class, um, at Manhattan bar, um, in the region here in Singapore. And, uh, Philip Bischoff was then running the bar and he hosted us and you know I, I knew I, I knew some people in Singapore because obviously a lot of people have, have traveled to Singapore and other parts of Asia from all over the world at this point 
um, for, for the, the massive explosion of the cocktail scene in, in Asia. And I didn't really have any plans to live in Singapore or attempt to move here. I enjoyed my time. It was a very short trip. I think we I think we might have been in the air longer than we were on the ground, <laughs> to be honest, going here and back. Um, and yeah, basically probably about five to six months after I was back in New York, um, I saw that uh, the the Raffles, the Long Bar at the Raffles Hotel, the legendary Long Bar, home of the Singapore Sling, they were going to be revamping it uh, with Proof and Company, the uh, the consultancy group as well as the distributors out here who we all know very well and I was curious and excited and I just started talking to some of the people I knew working at Proof and Company which led to me interviewing for that job even though I had no plans to particularly I was just kind of more excited and curious about the project and uh, I ended up interviewing for many months and basically I ended up being one of the final candidates for that role uh, I will preface this with saying that I knew I, I, I was at I was working at Dead Rabbit and Blacktail for like five five years and I kind of was ready I was ready for a change of scenery I was ready to leave New York so that's kind of like it all kind of lined up timing wise but but yeah long story short I didn't get the job um, which was fine because I was kind of just you know riding this little whimsical wave that never was supposed to happen anyway and um, but because I did talk to the people at Proof and Co and because, you know, I had had so many conversations about life in Asia and Singapore with people, cause I thought it was a potential move at that point. Um, they ended up contacting me shortly after, um, that fell through and telling me that they like to put me forward as an applicant for Atlas. Wow. Okay. And for maybe some of the listeners that don't know Singapore, have never been there. Um, I go often, well, I used to go often when the borders were, were, were fine to crow, but can you tell us a bit about um, your sort of love for Singapore and, and what drew you there? It's a great question, Chris, um, because that, that is a big part of the story. You know, com- coming to Singapore isn't only about the opportunity to be at Atlas. I also just really did fall in love with Singapore. And it's, yeah, for those of, for those of you that haven't traveled here, um, it's a very unique city. Um, it's extremely modern. You kind of feel like you're taking a step into the future when you come to Singapore, uh, coming from totally most agree. other places in the world. Yeah. Um, it's warm and cozy and safe and friendly and very, very easy to kind of maneuver and get around. Uh, great food. The cultures and the food here. I think a lot of people, um, just because Singapore is so modern, it doesn't have, you know, maybe the charm of, of Thailand or, you know, maybe a city like Shanghai or, or something like that. But the culture is definitely in the food and how people eat and gather together and how there's food from so many different cultures. Um, so available here. That's delicious. Um, I just it, it's kind of hard to put your finger on it, but I think everyone can relate to sometimes you travel to different cities and sometimes you go places and it just kind of feels like home. And Singapore yeah. had that feeling for me and, and continues to to this day. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I I had the very much same feeling with Bangkok. Um, but yeah, Singapore, you're right. It, it really is stepping into the future. Like just everything's so perfect. And um, there really is a, a rich culture of, of food. Um, and it's so diverse for such a small place, I find. Mm. Oh, that's cool, man. I, I'm really glad. So... Uh, Let's um let's move on to the the big topic I guess Atlas Bar. Um, 
being obviously one of the best in the world, it's um, it's magical. Every time I walk in, I'm just awestruck. Uh, did you have the same feeling? Uh, I did, and I still do. To be completely honest, I mean it's it's mm. it's, it's such an amazing place. And the more I the more I learned about it, you know, because it's it's quite famous for having one of the world's largest gin collections and, and being this like you know beautiful, you know, massive grand like uh, Art Deco lobby. Um, it's like super high ceilings and just this massive massive space. Uh, and every, yeah, when I walk in, it's just, it is very special. It almost feels like going into like Grand Central Station in New York City or, you know, name like any other kind of just like, you know, awing uh, or architecture structure it has that vibe, but it's, it's a cocktail bar, you know, which for those of us that, that love cocktails, it, it makes it really, a really special place to be and to drink. And um, yeah, I mean, I still tilt my head back every time I walk in. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, so for, for the audience, could you give us a rundown of, of Atlas and some of the offerings you have there? Um, and I know there's a lot because you're right, there's the gin selection, the champagne, but yeah, maybe just an overview of what Atlas is and why it's so special. Cool. So yeah, Atlas um, is, is this, this grand Art Deco bar. It, it's very, basically, it's the whole idea and concept is kind of like an Art Deco 1920s to 1930s um uh european hotel lobby bar although we're not in a hotel it looks like that and has that vibe um we are known for our gin our gin selections we're certainly a house of martinis but also a general house of cocktails i would say our cocktails and cocktail menu are basically you know slight variations on very classic style cocktails you know throw in a little sherry add, add a little extra this or that um, <laughs> in the form of a syrup or bitters or tincture or infusion and that's basically our drinks, you know, uh, I like to take the approach of like, keep it simple, stupid, don't mess it up and just make it delicious and executable. Uh, so that's what we do. Um, we do have an amazing champagne selection as well. Um, we have about 700 wines. We have about 150 vintage champagnes. Uh, I, I did the math one time. There's almost 2,300 drinking options at Atlas from our, oh, our wow. vintage okay. spirit to yeah, select gin selections, the cocktails, to wine. Uh, we have we have some original artwork in the building. So in the lobby, there's four original Salvador Dali sculptures. We have a uh, Botero uh, out in our courtyard. So, I mean, it's just you. I, it'd be quite impossible to like replicate or put this place anywhere else. You know. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, wow, that's a lot of drink selections. Uh, we'll we'll touch on all of those, but I actually have a question. I don't know if you've been asked this before, but um. How long does it take to do the stock take? <laughs> it takes a long time, but uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we're getting, we, we continue to get better at it. I, I will say the first time I ever did the stock take or uh, inventory, as we call it, stateside, mm. is uh, it took 10 hours. Um, that okay. sucked. So we, we made sure that didn't happen again. And now we have like, basically now it's like a six person team to, to knock out the stock take and everyone's pretty familiar. It's always the same people. So we all kind of know what we need to do and where to attack. So now we get it done in about five hours. That's not bad actually for considering how much you have in stock. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, man. Yeah. So we've gotten better. What are, what are some of the other um, maybe elements of working at Atlas that maybe people don't consider? So obviously inventory is, is quite a large task, but is there anything else that goes on behind the scenes that maybe people don't know about? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite an operation. I mean, we're, 
like as i mentioned before that kind of like hotel lobby feel so we also kind of run those type of hours so we open at 10 a.m um, before there was restrictions on when we could close we used to be open from 10 to 1 a.m six days a week uh, closed on sundays um although we're starting to be open on sundays soon um but yeah that for like for myself running the bar that was a huge new challenge i'd always you know ran bars and mostly worked at bars that were only open at night so you have to, uh, we also offer our full cocktail menu from 10 a.m. until we close. So we have to have, you know, a fully trained, ready to go um, Atlas bartender um, I'm there as soon as guests walk in. Uh, there's also an expectation, of course. So, so that puts a lot of pressure on the team. Like, you know, they're, they're aware of, of what, of the, the accolades or, you know, um, uh, notice of achievement that, that Atlas has, which of course we're super gracious to, to be seen in that light and we've been humbled by by those opportunities but but yeah it does create a little bit more more pressure and make you know you, you can't it, if you're going to be considered you know the best of this or the best of that like you can't disappoint your guests when they walk in um aside from that i mean yeah it's just always ebbing and flowing and there's you know we have like 50 staff and like 30 people on during a shift so i think you know communication is extremely challenging in a place like that uh, so we have to, you know, have to like constantly be over communicating. And I mean, a thousand WhatsApp chat groups for every little single thing from wow. maintenance to garnishes to, you know, mm -hmm. to anything you could consider. So yeah, it's, it's a beast. I mean, it's, it's, I'm sure there's other people out there who are like beverage directors for massive hotel chains that might be laughing at me for this. But, but for me <laughs> coming from like more smaller, you know, bartender owned bars, it is, it is a big uh, operations challenge. You say fifty staff. Yeah. Wow, I I did not expect that. Okay, okay, that's yeah. a lot. Not just bar. I mean, that's that's all. That's everything. That's not just bartenders. Hmm. Okay. So let's talk about um maybe the, the gin selection because uh, one of the most iconic things about Atlas uh, and people will see if they Google or go on Instagram is this beautiful tower which holds um is it over a thousand gins? Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, we're at about 1,400 now. Blimey, okay. <laughs> so uh, how is that? Is that like a, a sort of kid in the candy shop having all these amazing bottles to, to sort of play with and, and to try? It's it's both amazing and challenging. It's like uh, with great power comes with great responsibility when it comes to our gin selection. <laughs> um, right. I mean, yes, it is awesome. And, you know, I, as a lover of spirits and cocktails and, and, and gin as well like it's it's quite a privilege to have all of that you know at our team's uh disposal uh, but it's also you know a lot to keep up with I, I i kind of explain this sometimes when i'm giving people a tour of of our gin tower you know like 92 percent of the 1400 gins are not locally available so you know however we procure those and some of the bottles we'll have for we're only going to get one bottle, right? Like if we have a, if we have a, mm. a, you know, a Plymouth gin from 1901, it's not like that stuff's just floating around to grab wherever, wherever you want, you know, you have to have connections and you have to make sure you're getting like the actual quality and product. So point being, you know, when we run out of something it's, it, or have to move something over, it's, it's just this massive, you know, uh, to do because you have to update everything in the POS. You have to kind of relabel and reorganize like the, the Dewey decibel system. So we have to, you can't just like replace one bottle for another, right? Because it has to like, go into the right area and make sense. And then 
you have to inform all the team, you know, pull it off the POS once it gets 86, um, you know, taste the new gins, intake them. And basically there's, there's a, there's a lot to do it. I kind of joke about it sometimes. I say I wouldn't wish this, uh, on my worst enemy to have to, to keep up with this, but, it, but I mean, all jokes aside, <laughs> right. of course it's, it's amazing. And I'm, I'm very happy to, to, to get, to be one of the gatekeepers of, of this, uh, massive gin collection that Atlas. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like talking to you now, I can really start to well, sort of understand the huge mechanics that go on behind the scenes of this of this beast, I guess. Um, what about, um, I mean, obviously, this must change all the time and you're constantly trying gins, but what are your top three gins right now? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know what? We do constantly taste them. Um, we actually have, a, it's this kind of funny little thing we do. If you go inside the Atlas, instagram i think it's atlas bar as g uh if you check our our, our, our ig tv um myself and yana who's uh who's one of our bar supervisors we do this silly little atlas collection thing where we taste the gin kind of like make jokes and have fun so we actually do that every week so I, i'm constantly tasting uh new gins and so this the answer to this question will probably be outdated very quickly but right now my favorite three gins are uh, Le Gin by Christian Druin, which is a Calvados base um, with uh, juniper and other botanicals. Just delicious. I also just love Calvados. Um, and it works in a martini. It works neat. It works with soda. Um, the Four Pillars and uh, Kyoto Distillery collaboration, the Changing Seasons Gin, is really, really good. Uh, Four Pillars and uh, Kyoto, the Kenobi, those are two just great distilleries. Um... Oh, Heppel Gin is also uh, something that I've really been loving lately. Uh, they have, they're, they're, they're so cool what they're doing. Uh, they're, they're in the Northern England. Um, they, they have the hugest state and they, they kind of mix in like a micro distillation of green juniper that grows on their property with their outsourced juniper. And they have this like really cool, like modern way of distilling their gin. They do this, like uh, they do this oil extraction as well that they add into Basically, they do all parts, creates all this amazing flavor, and it's just an excellent, you know, classic style, you know, pine juniper forward gin that works awesome in martinis. Okay. Oh, I'll check that one out. So he's from England, you say? Yeah. Okay. Pretty brilliant. I'll definitely look at that. Um, so, I mean, also, moving on from the gins, you've got some impressive uh, rare bottles too, right? So I know that some of the whiskies you have are pretty, pretty unique. Um, maybe as a as a whole, this question is sort of um, how is the procurement of finding these bottles? What's the process for that? So this, there's two parts to this, um, and yes, as as you mentioned, Chris, we do. I think so. It it, it gets overlooked because obviously our massive gin collection, but we also have a really uh, really impressive uh, collection of vintage uh, scotches, um, mm. mostly scotches and Japanese, a little bit of cognac and American whiskey in there. So. The, there's the the when we get our vintage gins um we either have someone mule them uh whether it's someone's family member that's a or back in the traveling days it's someone family member traveling to a place we'll, we'll get them to bring something or link them up with who we need to make it happen uh mm. something we would order online through uh you know something like master of malt or, or something like that which like they, they do have some vintage spirits um but you know if you want to find the real crazy stuff you kind of got to go down the rabbit hole and like 
find your connections and networks. Um, so some of it's just kind of random. Sometimes we have guests come in and they're like, oh, they like, you know, we show them some old bottle of whatever, uh, you know, Gordon's or something. They're like, oh, my grandma has like a case of these in her house. She hasn't touched them for 30 years. And we're like, cool, well, we'll buy them. Yeah, so, uh, but then when it comes to our, you know, our, our whiskeys, so that's actually on procurement um, from uh, the family collection. And we call it the family collection because the, the owners of Atlas Bar, uh, the Huang family, they have a massive and amazing uh, vintage spirits collection at their, yeah. their headquarters out in, um, in Hong Kong. And uh, uh, Vicky Huang, who's like the, the main owner here and, and is in the building, uh, she, her and her husband, Vincent, they like run the whole building that Atlas is in because it's a big commercial real estate building with, you know, uh, lawyers, firms and embassies and stuff in it. Um, but they're also very much, they, they, they kind of help birth Atlas and they're, they're very involved in Atlas and, and its direction. And so, yeah, we get basically those bottles, uh, which is just a fraction of the collections of that they have back, you know, in Hong Kong and we have them on pr procurement um, directly from that source. Okay. Okay. I see. I see. Um, I mean, every time I, I've, I've been three, four times, I think now. Um, but what I love is the menu. It, it's just a tome. It's so, so big. It's like an encyclopedia of, of spirits and wines. And I could just like spend hours just reading through it, but there's always one bit that sticks out for me and it's, uh, the champagne section. Uh, and you'll probably know Piper Highsteck, I think, uh, of the mm -hmm. shipwreck champagne. Can you tell us the story behind that? Cause it always blows me away. Yeah, the Monopole Hidesec. Uh, I would say, too, um, we've updated our collections, and we now have every single gin has three unique botanicals listed, and we've also categorized every single gin by flavor profile, um, oh, okay. as well as, like, what style it falls into, because we found just putting what country it's from didn't really tell anyone about the gin, so that was right. a huge project, but, um, I digress to your first question, your actual question. So, um, yeah, our, our shipwreck champagne, it's definitely one of the most amazing things that we have here at Atlas. So we have three bottles. Um, they're, they're they go for about a quarter, quarter million, uh, thing each. Uh, so maybe we want to get, uh, you mean about a hundred thousand other people to chip in a few bucks. We can one day buy a bottle. <laughs> Sounds um, good. I'll start a crowdfunding. So the shipwreck. Yeah, exactly. That actually might work. Um, so basically, uh, the, the act, the story is, um, in, in 1917, uh, the Finnish prime minister sent over a couple thousand of these bottles from the, uh, Monopole Heidsek, uh, champagne, um, champagne producer as a gift to the last Tsar of Russia, Tsar, Tsar Nicholas II, but 1917 was World War One. And so they actually sent it. You can imagine sending uh, massive goods over the Atlantic Ocean at the time was a little risky. So they sent it on a, uh, a Swedish smuggling ship that had already had uh, 10 successful smuggling runs uh, during the year. Unfortunately, their 11th was, was not so lucky and they were intercepted and sunk by a German U-boat. And so these bottles were bottled in 1907 and they were discovered at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean in 1998. Uh, we actually have our little like Guinness record uh, uh, sitting there in the display case with the champagne. Uh, so yeah, we have 114 year old bottles of champagne sitting back there. 
Uh, and I will also give you a little bonus to this. So, so the, the family Psalm uh, for, for the Huang family, where we got these bottles of champagne, uh, he told me that he opened a shipwreck bottle about two years ago. So 112 year old bottle. And it was totally fizzy and bubbly and super fresh and bright. Because uh, theoretically, they spent, you know, they were at the bottom of the ocean, so no light exposure, pressure, mm. temperature. Um, so, yeah, apparently they've kept quite well. Wow. Okay. That's incredible. <laughs> and yeah, did he right? did he get to try it? I guess he did, right? No, he didn't. I asked him that, and it was like, oh, no, that okay. was, you know, that was for the big ballers. He just, he was just there to open the bottle. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I shed a little tear if I was doing that, just like <laughs> putting it in my hands. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, You're so scared opening that? <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> cool, man. Um, so actually, um, I don't know if you, you know, but last episode I had Hamish Smith on the podcast. So oh, Hamish nice. was uh, obviously instrumental in making uh, the 50 Best Awards happen. Um, but we, we talked about his journey of that and also about one of the things he foresees as being uh, a key element to being a best bar. And for him, it was actually about the bar team about having a figurehead and a team behind that person. And he said, that's where some of the best bars do well. And I feel you do very well at Atlas with this. So could you maybe talk to us about sort of your uh, practices with keeping your team, you know, motivated and keeping them, you know, uh, part of the, the Atlas family, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, and that, that's, uh, that's a good, uh, that's the word I'm looking for. That's, that's, that's good that, you know, Hamish notices that and recognizes that and points that out because, you know, in, in my world, that is far and away the most important thing any, you know, head bartender, bar manager, general manager can do. And that is keep your team happy, keep them challenged, um, give them the tools to succeed, empower them. You know, like those, those are the things you have to do. Like if, uh, you know, I've said this before on different podcasts, but I think it's, it's true and in any walk of life, not just, you know, in cocktail bars, like you see people, you know, on a pedestal, you see people on flyers, you see them, you know, doing this or that, winning this award. And it's, it's quite easy to sit back and be like, oh yeah, whatever, you know, they're lucky or like this or that, or, or have, or take this mentality that the way that you're going to achieve that is by being like selfish and by just doing everything that promotes yourself or like blah, blah, but the, the reality is you're carving away harder path yourself by doing that. The best way to find success is to just make sure that everything is running as smoothly as it can for your team and everything else will fall into place around that. And it, and it's, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I could go on forever about how important it is to, to really like make your bar team your focus, you know, of course the mm -hmm. guests and all that, but like I, for me, like the, the guests, happiness is, is so directly related to the team's happiness that you just got to treat them at, at the very least on equal footing, you know? Um, but yeah, some of the ways that I kind of like to do that is, um, you know, tons of training. You have to be super heavy on education because that's, you know, that's what we can offer, right. To people who are learning. Um, wow. So tons of education. Uh, and then as people, you know, start to show that they have more to offer and they make their way up, like empower them, give them things to do, make them responsible for like different aspects of the bar. Uh, um, check in, like, you know, make sure to sit down with everyone at least every two, three months at the very least, if not more often, 
because, you know, when you don't give people the opportunity to have a voice, um, cause it's quite different when you sit down in private compared to when you're like in a big group or like group messaging. Um, sorry, I'm giving you a long winded answer, but I'm quite passionate about this, but yeah, That's those are kind of some of the things right. I focus on. Okay, okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean, uh, I completely agree. And I, I'm really glad you, you kind of said all this. Um, so maybe let's talk about the training and the education, because I, I completely agree that education is so important, especially um, for aspiring bartenders, because that's what they're, they're there to do, right? To learn. Um, what are some of your tactics for, for trainings that you, you put in place in Atlas? So one of the first things I did when I came to Atlas um, and, you know, the, when, I, when I stepped into Atlas, the former head bartender, uh, Roman Fulton, he, he had already left like four to five months prior just because the interview process was, you know, a long process. And, and, you know, I also had to finish out my role in Blacktail and not to mention move to the other side of the world. So everything took a little while. And um, naturally, you know, when a place is without that, that person who's in charge and experience, things were you know, things were a little up and down, a little shaky as far as like the team was concerned when I first got here. And, you know, it's all about culture, right? I mean, that's, that's in the end of the day, that's like really what we're talking about is having a good work culture. Mm. Um, so one of the first things I did on the, on the education front, as I said, okay, I know that some of you have already been bartending here. And I know that some of you are senior bartenders, but everyone is going to go through uh, a technical training here and everyone is going to have to pass a test um, and if you don't pass that test you are not going to be allowed to bartend um, and you will have to do other things in the bar until you do pass this test because going forward this is the golden standard of where you need to be to be a bartender at atlas and you know it's not it's not because i know how to bartender better than anyone in the world it's simply not true there's a lot of amazing bartenders a lot of bartenders that are better than i am but it's creating the mentality that this means something and this has to be earned and this has to be achieved. And when you go on from Atlas, it's not, it's something that means something to you as well as the person hiring you because you have Atlas on your CV or as on your resume, you know? So that was kind of like the first thing in training. Um, but, you know, aside from that, we basically do, so every single week we do a classics quiz on five classics. And that rotates every single week and everyone has to pass it at least 80% or you have to retake it. And like even some, a way that that's coincided with empowerment is one of our, one of our bartenders, Alan, he really loves classics. And, you know, he basically was really passionate about push, pushing the education of that. And so we kind of ended up coming up with this together and he totally champions it. He picks the classic cocktails. He does the costing for them. Um, he writes the, he puts the quiz together, he grades them, you know, obviously I give oversight and step in with, when needed, but um, yeah, that's one form of education. Uh, we, we also, uh, you know, we have our briefing or lineup every single day where there's education on current cocktails on the menu, food, everything in between. And then we also do engage with brands to have them do, you know, fun educational things with our team, you know, when, when it, when it's fit. So whether that's like a little field trip or a training, so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's always new ways and we're always looking for them to, to keep the team educated. Good. And I like this um, empowerment you said, especially with uh, sort of giving these guys their chance to sort of, uh, to help run the quizzes too. 
I'd like to get one of those quizzes one day, see if I pass. <laughs> be good to try yeah, out. Yeah, man, we'll send it over. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, obviously, we're, we're all going through a tough time. Um, there's still a lot of restrictions globally, um, but we're hoping that sort of things get better soon. But uh, I'm interested, you know, when we can travel again, where would be the first place you go to uh, to sort of visit cocktail culture? You know what my honest answer to that question is, is Bangkok. Yeah. Um, I just love, I love Bangkok. And like, I, you know, I, uh, that's the place I visit the most since I've lived to this part of the world. Obviously Singapore to Bangkok and Bangkok to Singapore is a hop, skip and a jump and not, right. not crazy expensive or anything. Um, it's a, for those of you that don't know, it's about a two and a half hour flight as we're both here in Southeast Asia. Uh, I was blown away with Bangkok. I mean, it's probably my favorite Obviously, I love Singapore, and we have amazing cocktail bars. But but Bangkok is probably my favorite uh, city um, so far in Asia to go and have cocktails and food and and just bounce around. It's kind of fun and wild and crazy and uh, really like underrated. Um, for like I understand, of course, a lot of people haven't been there and don't and haven't seen it. Um, although I think that's starting to change because you guys just did have your first uh, World's Fifty Best Bar with Bamboo Bar, right? Which is yeah. awesome. Um, but yeah, flavors in Bangkok are awesome. They really pop. They're really intense. They're great. And yeah, that would be that would be the first place I would go to. But you know, of course, I could. I got cabin fever, man. I've been I've been marooned on an island for a year, so I I, 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 I would go about anywhere right now. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> I feel you on that one. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're lucky we've got the beach nearby, so it's like a couple hours drive, uh, sort to Phuket or Pattaya, but. Yeah, I I really want to travel again for sure. But I'm glad you said Bangkok. Really, um, yeah, it, it's it's such an incredible place. And what's funny as well is um, over the lockdown, there's still all these new bars opening. We we've had like four new bars this year, which are you know really high quality, amazing venues. So um, it's definitely growing uh, fast, which is good. So yeah, Jesse, I'm going to wrap up very soon to let you go back to work. But uh, thanks once again for coming on the show. But just a few more questions. Um, being the guy who's constantly evolved around alcohol and, and tasting all the time, what what do you actually drink at home? Is there something different that people wouldn't expect? Hmm. Um, wouldn't expect. I don't know. I, I love ciders. I, I fell in love with ciders when I worked in New York because New York's a big cider city. Um, I know for someone who came, hmm. came from the UK or, or that part of Europe ciders are sometimes more like the, the cheap thing you drink when you're like a high in high school, but they had a lot of great craft ciders and stuff <laughs> in uh yeah. in New York. So I generally prefer cider to a beer. Some people might not like that, but it's just the truth. Um, when I'm home, to be honest, like, so I have a pretty big spirits collection as, 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 as one does, it kind of just naturally, naturally grows when I travel or sometimes people send me stuff. But, you know, when you go home after work and <clears throat> after uh, years and years of drinking probably way too much, I don't necessarily want to come home and, like, get drunk. I just want to come home and have a drink. So I usually have, yeah, wine or a cider. Like, I, like wine always goes really fast in my place, but the bottles, they just keep expanding because I don't really drink much of them. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Like a, a crisp white wine, like a Sancerre Sauvignon Blanc or, or a cider and yeah, the eventual, the, okay. uh, the, not eventual, but the every once in a while dram of, uh, I, I love rum. I'm a big, like funky rum drinker, Claron, uh, American nice. whiskey, you yeah. know, goes back to my roots. So I love, I love some bourbon or rye, but yeah. Mm. 
Good, good. Okay. And uh, last question. So, I mean, Atlas has sort of hit the top spot, right? They're, they're doing incredibly well with the awards. They're, they're world recognized. You obviously just mentioned that you've updated your menu uh, to include sort of uh, flavor notes and also uh, botanicals for your gins. But is there anything else in the future um, that we've got in the works for Atlas? Well, yes, always. We're always planning. I, uh, <laughs> we actually, we just, we just launched a, a brand new cocktail menu in November um, 2020. It got a little delayed because, you know, other things were happening in the world. Um, that followed mm. up Interbellum, our, the, the first cocktail menu I launched here, which we we're lucky enough to win world's best cocktail menu at Tales. So we just followed that up with a, a menu called La Grande Nation. Uh, we launch menus annually, so uh, I've already started working on the next menu that will launch November 2021. Uh, we have some cool activations. Uh, one is called uh, World Atlas, where we're doing basically some, some special kind of partnerships with some of the world's best bars um, all over the world. We actually did one with uh, a Bamboo Bar last year. Um, so that's actually a pretty cool activation. I can't spill the beans too much on that but basically we have some some pretty cool things coming up with that i can't wait for you guys to see what bars we're working with um we do a thing here that we started last year called martini monday so we actually host singapore guest bars here at atlas um, we do events and stuff on our stage with it which is really fun um aside from that man we're just constantly looking to you know be the best that we can be and like find ways to engage i mean you know, something that has advanced the global cocktail scene, especially in Asia, has been like the travel, the guest bartenders, the guest shifts, the sharing of knowledge, you know, in this way. So we're trying to keep that going in whatever way we can. So, yeah, just, you know, trying to support, stay active. Uh, we will have, I'm sure, many, many more fun, exciting activations coming outside of that as well. Brilliant. Jesse, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Wait, it's over already? I thought we were just getting started here, man. I'm having a good time. <laughs> Maybe we can do a, a follow-up next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, for those of you who are sitting in a lockdown city or a ban of alcohol, stay tough, stay strong, send in love. We will get through this. Um, on to the next martini. And uh, Chris, we can't wait to have you back for your fourth or fifth visit here at Atlas Singapore. Thanks a lot, man. Been a pleasure. Cheers, brother.